0: minimum of 4 lines for $25 per line per month with auto pay discount using debit or bank account $5 more per line without auto pay plus taxes and fees phone fee at 24 monthly bill credits for all well qualified customers contact us before canceling account to continue bill credits or credit stop and balance on required finance agreement due $35 per line connection charge applies ctmobile.com it's the question on everyone's mind here when will new york city be reopened i don't know nobody can tell you it depends how fast the decline continues and while we wait, it seems clear that the New York we all love isn't coming back anytime soon.
1: We're going to have to uh, reframe the image of New York, not just as a great innovation center, a great economic center, etc. We're going we're to have to be the healthiest city in the world if we're going to overcome this.
0: In this edition of 880 In-Depth, we dig into the process of reopening the nation's largest city. And this warning... You may not like what you hear. I'm Tim Shells from WCBS News Radio 880 and we've got a lot of questions about the reopening of New York City, reopening businesses and schools, restaurants, and what about theater, live music and sports? All the things that make New York New York. Our Peter Haskell went looking for answers from one of the most prominent business leaders in our city. Catherine Wilde is president and CEO of the nonprofit Partnership for New York City, the city's leading business organization. The partnership is the bridge between some of the biggest businesses in the world and city government. Their mission is to work with government, labor, and the civic sector to strengthen the city's position as a global leader in commerce, in innovation, and economic opportunity. And that partnership is needed more than ever now. Our Peter Haskell wanted to know what Catherine Wilde thinks a New York reopening would look like.
1: Well, the folks who who have a uh, major presence in the city in office buildings where their people have been working from home for the last two months at least have generally had experience with the COVID-19 crisis around the world in Asia and in Europe. So they pretty much have a plan uh, when, when the health conditions and safety conditions are appropriate for reopening office buildings. And it is typically, again, when... The health conditions are such that people are satisfied they look to are the transit systems safe so that people feel comfortable riding the transit Uh, the situation with the schools is important because a lot of people have kids that are home when the schools are closed so are the schools going to reopen and then uh, they have protocols usually they're making some changes in office layouts to avoid Crowded conditions to allow for social distancing, and they're staggering and rotating people coming back. They won't bring everybody back at the same time, and they'll probably be working partly from home and partly in the office. So there's a whole regimen that's kind of the if you will, the easiest part of the overall reopening the tougher the tougher areas, the restaurants, the theaters, the uh, local uh, you know personal services. Those are what's really hard.
2: When you talk about staggering a work week, some people come in, some people stay at home. How does that impact the ability to do business? And is it a disincentive for people to be in Midtown or elsewhere in Manhattan?
1: The good news and the bad news is that big employers in the city, and that's about half of the pre-COVID we had about four and a half million private sector jobs in the city and about half of those are at large companies um, and offices what they have found the big companies have found is that they can basically have people working remotely for most functions and it works fine they're just as productive uh, as when they're in the office after adjustments are made. And they've made an investment in making sure they have the equipment and the Zoom and the, you know, broadband capacity. Even trading floors, the banks are telling me, are functioning at 90% productivity from with people working remotely. So it's good news in that they've been able to keep businesses going throughout this process. Uh, uh, this situation. Uh, It's bad news for New York City because, of course, we want to bring as many people back into the city as possible, where they shop and are entertained and eat in local restaurants. That's what's going to be hard.
2: In terms of getting people in, what kind of protocols are being looked at to try to assure people if they come in, they go to work, they come into the office, they're going to be safe?
1: Well, all the big employers are doing opinion polls of their employees on a regular basis to find out what will make them comfortable. Uh, there are some crunch points like elevators, uh, the, and again, as I said before, the transit system, uh, having to, having to ride in a crowded train. Those are, those are key concerns that have to be dealt with. In the office, uh, some, some companies are putting up Partitions where they had open office space. Uh, the rotation allows them to uh, stagger where people are seated, so they are maintaining distance. Most are not opening cafeterias, or if they are, they're putting partitions in the cafeterias so people aren't uh, breathing on each other. It's um, you know, it's rethinking the whole dynamic and design of the office space obviously the open workspace that we've moved to in the past 5 years is suddenly out of fashion um as as not the most uh most protected environment they're instituting big cleaning protocols uh they're not they were doing hotel desks where you could come in and use anybody's desk during the week or shared desks that's out the window uh because of the uh the fear of contamination so uh, much of office culture is changing, but as I said, this is easy compared to what a small kitchen in a restaurant has to worry about where there just isn't any place to run the business and uh, with people working on top of each other, that's not going to be possible for a while, at least until we have a vaccine and probably some time after that.
2: Can the city's restaurant industry, as we know it, survive?
1: Short term, I'm afraid the answer is that the city's restaurant industry cannot survive in anything like what, uh, what we have come to know it as a key social gathering place. And the same is true of theaters and other cultural venues in sports settings. Any place where people are crowded together, like we New Yorkers love to be, um, is going is going to have a problem because their business models. For example, the restaurants, uh, the the restaurant owners that I've spoken to, they've said that they cannot have an economic model with fifty percent occupancy of either the restaurant or their kitchens. It just doesn't work for them. So um, it, it it doesn't. Re- They have thin margins, these businesses. Uh, Most of the businesses affected have uh, 5% margins maybe at most, and they just don't have the space, the flexibility. Uh, They pay high rents for small space, and they don't have the flexibility. One restaurant owner was telling me that she has... 30 employees in her storefront and there's a jewelry store in the uh, next door to her that's exactly the same size that has 3 employees. So restaurants are labor intensive and they are space constrained. That is in this environment a recipe for disaster until we rebuild public confidence, which is going to be the key because even if the state allows them to open You have to have customers to draw revenues, to pay the rent, and it's going to be a long time before that happens.
2: I'm wondering, can New York still be New York if you don't have the restaurants and the sports and the culture and the nightclubs and all the things you mentioned?
1: I don't think New York can be New York without the kind of high-density social interaction. I mean, that's what's made the city so attractive to old and young alike. So uh, the key here is that New York City, instead of being the epicenter of the disaster as we are today, our job, which is formidable, is over the next 18 months, two years, to Meet all the health and safety standards that are necessary, which means being. We're a center of research. We're Mount Sinai Hospital in New York is uh, coming up with the first foolproof antibody tests, and uh, uh, so the testing. uh, Both Pfizer and Johnson and Johnson, that have a big New York presence, are and, and. New York, and I should say Johnson Johnson, is also New Jersey, our sister state. Uh, both of them are at the forefront of the search for thera- therapeutic drugs to cure and vaccines to prevent the disease. We've got to be full front ahead on that. Uh, former Mayor Bloomberg has uh, committed to roll out the testing and the contact tracing protocol that's going to allow us to move from staying at home and social distancing to being confident that we know who's impacted by the disease and we're able to isolate them and everybody who's been in contact with them. So Mayor Bloomberg and Johns Hopkins are leading that effort. They are the heroes of public health, experts on public health. You remember that goes back when when Mayor Bloomberg uh was uh, fighting sugary soda and cigarettes, et cetera. He's always been a public health maven, so his leadership with Governor Cuomo on this is extremely important. So we're just going to have to convince the world over and, and convince our own residents over the next 18 months or so before a, a vaccine becomes available that New York is going to be number one in the world in terms of the safest city, the healthiest city, That's our job, and if we can do that, I think we'll be able to bring back our theaters, our restaurants, our public gatherings, and we'll be able to bring back the international visitors that are so important to our economy. I think that can all work for us, but it's going to be a huge commitment on the part of all New Yorkers to do that.
2: You said something interesting. We've heard various government leaders at different levels saying June, things will be better. The academic here in September, January, these various dates, you said 18 to 24 months. Why is that?
1: Well, that's the estimate for when the vaccine and the therapeutic drugs, that's the 18 months is the outside estimate when we'll have a vaccine and therapeutic drugs to be able to comfortably assure people that... Uh, that we can conquer the COVID-19, the coronavirus. So we're assuming we have to do that, and then we have to convince people we've done it. I remember I was five years old when the Sock polio vaccine came out, and there was a whole education program, vaccination program. We had the Sock vaccine in the sugar cube for all the grade schools, all the school children. And with that came a public education that uh, polio is a thing of the past if we all take the vaccines, uh, follow this protocol. And it works because the public really understood and the fear of paralysis and death, the consequences of polio, was overcome in a very short period of time. So that's the kind of campaign and effort that we're going to have to have around the coronavirus, and, and people have to know that we're going to keep up paying attention on a public health basis and tracing and be much more informed ahead of the game in the future against uh, a against future pandemic or a future outbreak.
0: It hasn't gotten as much attention, but Katherine Wilde tells our Peter Haskell that a big concern she has is restarting another vital part of our city the university system.
1: What's made New York so strong in the last decade has been our great universities that attract and you know we're able to support this whole innovation economy, and they're having a a lot of their a lot of their issues. Are um, are very serious about reopening their campuses. They all closed down uh, when business closed down two months ago. Uh, they're having some difficulty, as you may have read, with uh, folks not feeling they're getting the education they paid for in the second semester, in the last semester, with the online education, and they're having some litigation. and And I'm sure they're having difficulty signing up students particularly international students for next year so that's that's a crisis for our economy it's not just a financial crisis for the universities which it is but it's a crisis for our economy because they're what feeds the young uh, science students the math students the technology employees you know they have our fastest growing industry in the city for the last ten years has been the tech sector, which is closely linked to the universities, and we have to be thinking about that too, how to reopen those universities, how to keep them strong, how to support them. That's a whole other set of issues that's going to be very important to our recovery.
2: Over the past 20 years, the city has endured and survived 9-11, the financial crisis, Superstorm Sandy. They're all very different and this is very different from those three. What are the lessons learned or that we can take from them? Or what are the differences or similarities?
1: Well, uh, those were all relatively short-term events. I compare this crisis to the crisis of the 1970s when we lost half our fortune five hundred companies and a million population within the, within the decade of the seventies the city went bankrupt or near bankruptcy did never actually went bankrupt and so i think it's more i think this crisis because it's ongoing it doesn't have a it doesn't have a an end Really, uh, and the beginning is unclear uh, when that when when we started when the when the disease came here is still unclear, but it doesn't have an end it's ongoing, and that makes this much more difficult uh because the i mean nine eleven was a horrible tragedy, but it was geographically contained uh Two weeks after 9-11, if you were in Manhattan, north of 20th Street, you didn't know what happened except for the vague smell of the, of the uh, Trade Center site burning. This is affecting the whole country, the whole world, and the whole region, all of New York City, in a way that's just far more profound. And while we have, by staying home, contained the virus, we've killed the economy. And it is, you know, the only analogy to the loss of, we're going to lose at least half a million jobs, probably more, and then in terms of family members and, you know, it's two million people that will be impoverished by this event. Uh, we don't have the safety nets in this country to absorb that. They've tried with the federal stimulus to create to create something with uh, payments, but, you know, the stimulus was based on supporting people until June 30th, that's not going to be the duration of this problem. It's going to be a lot longer and at some point the federal government's going to run out of uh, borrowing power to be able to keep printing money. So I would say that this is unlike anything we've experienced in the last century. The Great Depression obviously is a precedent, Uh, the only one that I could point to, the, uh, the 70s financial crisis was similar in terms of economic impact, but the recovery from that wasn't complicated by these deep health concerns, psychological concerns about, is it still safe to live in a dense, diverse city? And that's the question that we have to confront head on.
2: In getting back to the whole point about changes in office behavior, with not as many people coming in every day, does the central business district get reimagined, where maybe you don't have as many uh, that density of office space, and you have smaller hubs in other boroughs, other parts of Manhattan? You know, the
1: uh, the diffusion. Of economic activity and people activity has actually been happening over the past decade or so we've had uh, the largest job growth in the city over the last ten years was in Brooklyn and Queens, not in manhattan so and and more recently, the Bronx has really taken off as an economic center so I think very much in in uh, in concert with your with the the point you're raising about distribution a broader distribution of economic activity and people activity that's been happening and i think it's true that we will be we will want to double down on that i live in uh... southwestern brooklyn which is uh... which which is not a dense crowded area it's really a place where people have the opportunity to socially distance but on the other hand i think we've got to i mean the end game here is to be confident that we can overcome these uh, overcome the virus overcome these issues and be able to once again relax and socialize. So uh, for the short term for the intermediate term we're going to have to find workarounds, as you suggest whether it's in office spaces working from home uh, not um, you know deliveries of meals to locations rather than eating in in restaurants those kind of things, those workarounds will have to take place, uh, staggering office hours so everybody's not on the subway at the same time, and um, and those, uh, so we'll have to make those considerations. I, I hope that long term we'll be able to relax and have a, uh, a healthy environment without all those restrictions on social interaction.
2: What do you think New York is going to look like 20 years from now, 25 years from now? What's going to be different, and will the strengths necessarily be the same as they are now?
1: I think the strengths will not be the same as they are now because the world economy is changing so quickly. The New York economy has been following it. But I think that the, uh, New York has, for its whatever 400 years of existence, has been a place that is, uh, that is driven by openness, practicality, uh, tolerance for all sorts of, uh, of people and points of view. So, I think the essence of New York values. I don't know if you've ever read uh, Island at the Center of the World, Russell Shortow's book about the, the pragmatic, business oriented, uh, liberal Dutch who started founded New York City where the early were the early settlers here the Hudson Bay Company etc and he contrasts that to the puritans who founded Boston and say look at look at the culture and the diversity and of New York making that comparison i think it's a, uh, one of my favorite books but it but the essence of New York is not in physical building designs, et cetera, et cetera. It's, it's really in those values. And so I think that uh, I think we'll continue to embrace diversity. I think we'll be resilient and overcome fears, just as we did after nine eleven. You mentioned the, the fear of terrorism for a couple months. Everybody was saying, well, the financial industry is going to move a nuclear distance away from lower Manhattan. That. That didn't happen. Lower Manhattan became more residential, but it was for the last uh, 15 years the fastest growing community in America in terms of adding new residents and new business, rebuilding the Trade Center. So it's a very resilient community. It's an open community to change, and I think we're going to see that. I think what we have to preserve is our great institutions, our great hospitals, our great universities, uh, our uh, the the cultural institutions, I mean, uh, uh, you know, Broadway. We have to figure out how to make those things work. And that may take some real creative thinking. It's certainly over the next couple of years we'll be looking at how can we help them just like we have the airlines which are very important to us. How can we help these industries and that are most affected and cultural centers that are most affected get through the next couple of years until people again feel safe being in those environments and we can get a market-based revenue model going for them again that's where we've got to focus some attention because without those great institutions uh... new york will not be new york
2: last question for you when you talk to the business leaders that are part of the partnership what is your message going to be for them about trying to get through the next eighteen to twenty four months?
1: Well, to be clear, I work for the business leaders, so I um I listen to their message. But you, 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 you call has
2: a message, right? You bring everybody <laughs> together and then it diffuse it from there, right?
1: True. True. So um We actually had a meeting of about 30 top business leaders on Friday, a virtual meeting, a Zoom meeting, and uh, they overwhelmingly are committed to the city, recognize its value, understand that uh, the importance to the global economy of having strong metropolitan areas around the world. I mean... David Rockefeller was one of the early uh, was the founder of the partnership that I worked for. Said early on that globalization of the economy required great world cities as the platform on which to bring all the talents together to operate in, in a global economy, and the access, the airports, et cetera. I mean, he understood that early on, and for the last 20 years, the trend has been. To build and bring people are attracted to cities for that reason. Uh, I think that's going to that that underlying momentum is so strong. Our members, the business leaders of uh, of the city and the country, want to see the city rebound. They understand its importance. They understand its values. So. There's a commitment there. They're trying to figure out how to help make that happen. And 20 years from now, New York will be different, but it will have the same underlying values and qualities that have made this such a great world city.
0: Our thanks to Peter Haskell and his conversation with Catherine Wilde. Tough days ahead, no doubt. More to come on this topic for sure. Thank you for listening to WCBS 880 In Depth. Please subscribe. You can find us wherever you get your podcast. Just search WCBS 880 in depth and tell a friend. We really need new phones. T Mobile will cover the cost of four amazing new iPhone 15s, and each line is only $25 a month.
1: New iPhone 15s? It's better over
0: here. Only at T Mobile get four iPhone 15s on us and four lines for $25 per line per month with eligible trade in when you switch